Podcast One. In my humble opinion, not enough business owners put enough effort into building a strong, healthy brand. Fortunately, today's guest isn't one of them. From scratch, she's conceived, created and built a premium pet food brand that in just two years has achieved some significant growth. It's a Fancy Pants episode 519 of the 11-year-old award-winning Small Business Big Marketing Podcast. Yeah, I say, welcome to a small business marketing show where successful small business owners share their souls to take your marketing straight to the lead. Now, here's your host, Mr. Tim And welcome back to your weekly dose of leg in the air marketing. I'm your host, Timbo Reid. You, infinitely more importantly, are a motivated business owner and you are so ready to crank out some great marketing to build that beautiful business of yours into the empire that it absolutely, in my mind anyway, deserves to be. Guess what? Big episode today. Cubicle escapee Ariane Sackville takes us behind the scenes of how she's built a premium dog food brand from scratch. We're talking white canvas. This week's motivated listener is a marketing idea implementing machine. And I let you in on next week's episode, which you are going to find ridiculously helpful. As per usual, team, there is marketing G-O-L-D dripping from the ceiling over here at Small Business Big Marketing's HQ. So let's get stuck right in. Quick reminder to grab a copy of my 10 marketing wake-up calls by heading over to smallbusinessbigmarketing.com. Leave me your email address and I will get those bad boys to you immediately for free. And some exciting news. Starting next episode, I hope, I'm pretty sure, I'll be giving out a phone number that you guys can call me on anytime and leave me feedback, ask me a question, or simply share a marketing idea that's working for you. And if you're lucky, (laughs) or some may say unlucky, I'll play your message in an upcoming episode. There you go. A chance for some self-promotion to thousands of other business owners around the world. Now to today's guest. Ariane Sackville has brought her two passions in life together, dogs and nutritious food, to create a premium dog food brand she lovingly calls Bell and Bone. Following her escape from the corporate cubicle in her late 20s, Ariane launched Bell and Bone as a result of her own frustrations with the commercial pet food products on the market. Two years and three product lines later, Bell & Bone is available, how's this, in 250 stores nationally. She's exporting to Hong Kong, Macau, Singapore and Thailand and her online sales are doubling every single month. Great story. There's a lot to love and learn from how Ariane has created this brand from scratch, including lessons in great design, making personal connections with key opinion leaders, brand collaboration strategies, and building a community of raving fans. I started off by asking Ariane the obvious question, does she taste her own product? I actually have before. You have to close your eyes and (laughs) remember that it's human grade before you do. (laughs) But yes, I have. (laughs) When you say before, is that a one-off or you actually do it each time you bring out a new range? Well, not every time I bring out a new range because I've got a range of raw treats. So 
eating raw chicken is not advised, so not every time. <laughs> Have you got a favourite flavour? Mine's salmon with carrot and kale, by the way. Well, I actually am obsessed with our new dental sticks. What, are you obsessed as in um, like you do like to try them? No, or? no, no. I'm making a joke. I don't actually <laughs> eat them. <laughs> I sell pet food just in case no one understood what we're talking about. <laughs> do you know with some of your flavours like salmon with carrot and kale, kangaroo with spinach and kelp, would it be fair to say that you're catering to the owner and not the dog? And is that like the psychology used when coming up with flavours? I think I'm catering to both because pets are now part of the family they are no longer the dog that lives outside who eats the food out of the can. They are our children, whether the rest of the public wants to believe that or not, and they deserve the best. As we humanise our pets and treat them more as a part of the family, their preference in food, as chosen by the owner, is evolving and it's becoming more healthy and more natural as we become more healthy and more natural in our feeding. Hmm. So you're right, I am catering to humans because they are the shoppers, they make the decisions, but my shoppers are responsible and they believe in health and wellbeing for pets and can see the benefit of the products I'm creating and what they're giving to their dogs. Dogs eat anything, fair to say. So how do you actually know? I'm sure there's probably scientific papers and all this stuff backing it up, but how do you actually know that the dog's better off with a bell and bone meal versus, say, a can of Pell? There's a lot of research that has become available in recent years where a lot of dog food used to be very processed, a lot of wheat, a lot of sugar, a lot of salt for palatability and for profitability, but there's such a big change and movement towards raw feeding and that's where Bell and Bone is going. You're right, dogs will generally eat everything and that doesn't mean take advantage of that. That means embrace that and they're happy to eat unhealthy food and healthy food, so why not give them the healthy food? It's a no-brainer to me and to Bell and Bone and my community. What was wrong with the current, you sort of answered it just then, but what was wrong with the current dog food brands that actually moved you to the point of leaving what I guess was a comfortable corporate job to starting not only a business, but like building a brand from scratch? What was that big kind of moment? I guess it was frustration and having to Google almost every single ingredient on the VACA pack. I mean, there's a problem in itself and... What did you come up with? Just give me one example of like your feed... What's your dog's name? Louie is my dog. Okay. And, but, you know, small things like learning that maize is another word for sugar. Huh. But doesn't appear on the back of pack. So being a health-focused individual and someone who reads the ingredient list in my food, that was natural for me to do that for my dog's food. And when I couldn't understand what I was feeding him and there were so many mixed messages out there in the market, I guess a lack of transparency and almost it felt a bit dishonest. I knew that it wasn't okay and that something needed to be done. So it wasn't like I was just frustrated and I went out and built this brand. It doesn't happen like that. I did a lot of research, asked a lot of questions and engaged a lot of experts. 
So I work with a food technologist, a pet nutritionist, a vet scientist, and I ask my community questions and see what they want. And that helps me develop the range that I do. So you are working in corporate. What were you doing? What was your last corporate job? Account management, sales. What was the product? FMCG, yeah. So I've been in FMCG a long time. A long time. (laughs) So you're doing all that. You have a frustration as a pet owner that Louis's not getting the kind of food that he sh- that he deserves and that you'd love him to be eating. Yeah. You start to look at the back of ingredients go, oh, geez, hang on, we're giving my dog. Louis's getting sugar and all these other things. I didn't know what they were. This is not good enough. I wouldn't put it in my body. Why would I put it in Louis's? What was the big thing where you go, okay, I'm leaving, I'm leaving the safety of corporate, which is not really true because it's not that safe, and you are going to start a business? I think it was... A combination. One was wanting to achieve the goals that I, I guess, am achieving right now through pet food. But the other thing is that I'm not built for corporate. (laughs) (laughs) Join that club. (laughs) I like to make up my own rules and break my own rules amongst other people's rules. And really push the boundaries to kick some big goals and make a big difference. And that's been within me forever. So, I mean, corporate gave me so much. I learned so much from, you know, sales and understanding people and talking to people, but also, you know, business acumen and being prepared and organised. However, I always needed more and it was not about if, it was about when. What's the first step you take? You go, okay, leaving the job, I've done the research, I've read the papers, I've spoken to friends, Louie's hanging out for some healthy food. Where do, you, where do you go? Do you start mixing things up in your kitchen? Do you hire, I think you said, a food technologist? What's the first step? It's pretty hard to start a business sometimes. There are a lot of people who want to start businesses and we all know the statistics around failed versus successful businesses, especially in the first year. So getting people to work with you is really, really hard. A lot of door knocking, a lot of begging, a lot of presentations, a lot of please give me 10 minutes of your time went into it. Um, But a lot of it can also be luck, timing. For example, the food technologist I that helped me create my first range, I had actually previously worked with in a corporate job. So building up your network and keeping amazing people close to you, I couldn't highly, more highly recommend it because you never know when it will come back around. It's amazing that luck thing, and I'm using air quotes as I say that, a past guest, Melanie Perkins, who is the founder of Canva, uh, she talks about how she created her luck by finding that there was a particular venture capitalist that expressed some interest in Canva many years ago who liked kite surfing. She hates kite surfing and heights, but he was having a conference somewhere off the Florida coast and she's gone, I'm going to that and I'm going to learn to kite surf and I'm going to kite surf with him. And she did all that and Canvas now valued at $4.8 billion. Um, but, well, you know. Well, and Bone's not valued at that <laughs> just yet. <laughs> yeah, yeah. However, creating your own luck, I couldn't agree with that more. I have done things like that many, many times before um, 
to get in front of the right people at the right time. Give us an example. I'd love to hear one. Yeah, well, there was an account that I was trying to win and I could not get a hold of the buyer for the love money. So I found out she was going to be attending an event in Brisbane one weekend. So I said to myself, all right, what's the cost of getting to Brisbane and getting to this event and, you know, everything associated? Is it going to pay off for a bigger success? And I realised if it pays off, it is, and I had to back myself. So I took myself up to Brisbane with all my marketing, all my products, all my everything, and made sure I bumped into her at this event in Brisbane and talked to her all about Bell and Bone and we became good friends. She thought I was crazy, but different (laughs) and didn't stop for anything and wanted to achieve something so great that she gave me a go and found what I was doing quite impressive. And they are an amazing customer of mine and the brand has just grown through their platform so much, in particular during COVID as well. So couldn't be happier. That's awesome. Just just working through that, Ariane. So you flew to Brisbane uh, to a conference that this person was going to be at. You did you have a reason beyond the fact that you wanted to bump into her to go to that conference? Yes, it was a pet conference. Oh, it was a pet conference. Okay, so you could, but, had good reason to be there. Oh, and I learned things and was happy to be there. But did you tell her? Listen, I'm not really here for the conference. The only reason I'm here is to meet you. So oh yeah. Can I have, Honesty is the best policy and I think the crazier you sound sometimes, people are happier to give you a go. We love a bit of crazy. Yes. Makes the world go around, makes it interesting. Well, that's it, breaking your own rules, right? You don't get that in a corporate desk. No, you get the sack. (laughs) That's what you get. (laughs) Yes. Going back to the start, because I'm I'm always fascinated about how, particularly a product business, how you get it to market. I had a young bloke, Josh Appitz, on the show recently who was he's 17 now but at the age of 15 created Seagull Milk Sunscreen. No experience in product or sunscreen or anything like that. He went and got an industrial chemist, mixed up a potion, the rest is history. You get your food tech but then you've got all that stuff around name, logo, design, packaging. There's a lot to do. Was that, was that a corporate type process or was it something you did around the kitchen table? Naming the brand was around the kitchen table. I actually think I've trademarked three different brand names because I was dissatisfied with the name twice before um, and changed it again and that's a cost you never get back. <laughs> what, what were the other two? No, they weren't too far from actually what I've got. One was Belle with an E and... Then the next one was Bella, but um, I actually think that trademark was rejected because Nestle owned, I think it's Nestle, owned the name Bella for all pet food. So, Belle, and I couldn't be happier now with Belle and Bone because I actually think they represent our pets quite nicely. But in terms of actually starting the business, besides a name, that's not a kitchen family dinner conversation. That is years in the making, I think. And although when you have a product in your hand and you've gone to market, my growth has been quite significant in a short amount of time, but there's a lot of work that goes into that. You know, interviewing 10 different designers to make sure you've got the right one. I'm pretty particular with what I like and how I want to be presented in the market. And branding is so important. I was going after 
wholesale, which meant I would be sitting on the shelf next to other products and not only did I have to have something superior inside the bag, I also had to have something superior on the outside because how is anyone going to pick up something new that they've never heard of when I'm competing with brands that have been there for 10, 15, 20 plus years? So every single little element needed to be thought about in preparing for the launch. So I love the fact that you've gone and interviewed 10 designers. Even on my way down to the studio this morning, I had a phone call from someone who said, have you got a designer? You know, can I use your designer? And I'm like, "Um, yeah, but like, what do you need? You know, have you seen designs that you love and approached the person who did that, you know? And I don't think people put enough effort in. What did that process look like when you go and interview 10 designers? You got a list of questions. What What were you specifically looking for beyond great work? Very specifically, um, I was actually interested in their personality um, besides their great work. Great work, Obviously, I wouldn't be interviewing them if I didn't like things they'd done. But the designer who created Bell & Bone, I think we started working together in 2017 on ideas, is still with me today and I speak to her every couple of weeks uh, with new ideas and new projects to do. So... Being able to relate to the people I work with is super important and I'm a different person when I have a good relationship with someone or a poor relationship with someone. So having the right team and the right network that will help you succeed, that's a bit of a gut instinct, I guess, but me and her are great friends and she understands me and my vision and brings it to life in a better way than I've seen anyone else before. What's your secret sauce to getting the best out of a designer? Knowing exactly, not the way you want it to look because that's their job. It's more about who you are and what your values as a business and personally are and that you want to be portrayed through your brand. So being very clear about, you know, having clean food, as an example, has come across with clean packaging. And our transparent messaging has come across with the icons that we choose to put on the front of pack, whether it be Australian made and owned or grain free or, you know, five ingredients, whatever it might be. These messages have come from our values that now represent our design. One of my little tricks, having worked in advertising for so many years and working with creative teams, was always to say to the creative team, which included a copywriter and a graphic designer, I'd say, here's the brief and please deliver me work back to me that's on brief that I can present to the client because that's what they've asked for. But also please deliver to me an idea that if it was your business that you'd love to run with. Mm. So it gives them the freedom to go and create off their own bat, but then they also have to stick to the rail tracks of the brief. And they like that because then they don't feel kind of claustrophobic. Um, my designer and I actually created a dog that represents Bell and Bone, but community is a really big, important value of the brand. And this dog on front of pack actually represents the community. It represents all the dogs that we feed, that we help through our charity work, that we talk to every day that help us create Bell and Bone. That's it. When you put your values on a pack, 
I think the messaging is really clear visually, but also what people take from it as well is really clear too. You've got three products, superfood treats, freeze-dried treats, dental sticks. Pricing is a nightmare for most business owners. You're a premium product. How'd you come up with the price points? Put a finger in the air? Bit of research. (laughs) A little bit of how much is mine selling per 100 grams for their per 100 grams? How much are they retailing on the shelf? How much is inside my bag versus theirs? It is totally a nightmare. And you've got all these thoughts behind you of, I'm selling a premium product, therefore I need a premium price but you don't want to price yourself out of the market. You need to make money. How many do I need to sell to break even? That number changes every five seconds because there are always costs you never expected. (laughs) The answer is you can always bring your price down much harder to bring it up. That's my final answer. (laughs) Great answer. Do you feel like you've got it right? Uh, Yes. I think so. The brand's growing pretty fast, so people... Give us a sense of growth. Very fast. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. People can't see this. I'm looking at Ariane on a Zoom call. Very, very fast. She said through, <laughs> through a closed mouth. It's like looking at ventriloquist and her and it's doll, you know, like... Um, you don't have to put numbers to it, percentage-wise. I mean, you're operating off, you're only two years old, so low base of zero. Well, that's it. My first year was pretty small because... From, I guess, a store count perspective, I grew really fast. In the first year, I probably had about 50 stores and now I've got 200, over 250 stores. As an example, over COVID, my online store has doubled in revenue every month since previous. So I now sell overseas. What do you put the exponential growth down to? Have you literally identified a gap in the market and filled it appropriately? Or have you mastered the art of going to conferences and accidentally bumping into people you need to speak to? What, what is it? I think it's that I am genuine in what I'm doing. I actually want to see the difference I'm trying to make. And people believe that message As I mentioned, we've got really strong values around health and transparency of what we're doing and purposeful food. So as an example, our dental range, which launched just a few months ago, has really taken off because four out of five dogs by age three will have gum or dental disease. And our products have been developed with a vet scientist to have active ingredients there that will reduce plaque and tartar in the dog's mouth. So... What I'm doing is actually making a real difference to the health and well-being of dogs' lives. And people want to see that in their dogs. They want to give their dogs the best. And the gap is the confusion that we were all feeling about what should I be giving my dog? And that's what I'm trying to satisfy. I guess what makes my brand different to many others is that I also hold, I hold myself accountable for the work that we do. And that comes out in so many different ways. For example, I have a note on the back of every pack and I sign my name. And everyone knows that I have put my stamp of high quality approval on the back 
of every single bag I'm selling. I put my face out in videos explaining the differences and the benefits. I talk about my struggles through social media platforms and I talk about the wins as well and my community's there to share that with me. You know, if my dog's sick, I tell my audience this happened to him and they're all there supporting me and wishing me the best. And I think the gap is that personal connection where big companies can't necessarily offer that. Something that I try really hard and that's been quite compromised over the last few months is to make face-to-face personal connection with my community. I hold parties in the park, you know, where dogs can come and, we, you know, I give out free products and um, talk about what I'm doing and I attend customer events. I really try and get to know my community. That's awesome. How, how do you do that? Just, party, I love the parties in the park idea, but I imagine it's a fairly local. You're not travelling to Western. You live in Melbourne. You're not travelling to Perth to run a party in the park. So you're just doing that locally uh, in, in and around your suburb. Yes. Is there a way of kind of scaling that? It's a lovely idea. Yeah. Well, I pre-coronavirus, yeah. <laughs> that was actually in the plan um, ah. for this year. So... Our strategies had to change quite significantly, obviously, because I'm super old school with face-to-face. I much prefer make a personal connection with someone um, rather than the internet. And although I focus heavily on our online presence, majority of my um, time and efforts were going to stores and being a part of the education process and the community and being with people. I, I love this because I often, um, I, I guess I pride myself on helping the small service-based business owner grow because that's what I am. Uh, and I often, when I'm thinking about marketing ideas and, and things, I'm like, how does this apply to a product marketer? Because it's, 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 it, there are different dynamics. Some of the fundamentals remain the same. But, you know, often a product, I, I say to a service provider, whether a chiropractor or accountant, get your face out there, do your YouTube videos, do your podcasts, you know, be on social media, show behind the scenes. It, easier for a service base. But I love the fact that you're a product-based business, but you're still very big on face-to-face. And I don't see that as much. Well, I think for us... When you're creating a product with quite a strong point of difference to what the market has seen day to day, which is what Bell & Bone really is, there's a lot of education involved and a lot of talks you have to have. And it's very easy for me to write a script and stick it up on my social media and run ads. But when I actually go and have a conversation with someone, I get to understand what resonates with what I'm doing in their lives and with their dogs. You know, does their dog have skin issues? Does their dog have a sensitive stomach? And we have products that cater to those different health benefits or necessities. And then you have those conversations and I'm guessing you are smart enough then to listen to the language that your customers and dog lovers are using and then you integrate that language into the back of pack copy. Definitely. But it's also helped the business grow. So I really value what my customers say to me and I take note of the things that are important to them and I've made 
products according to what they need with the help of experts to get it right, to actually create that value that they're after that they haven't been able to find in other brands. Let's talk distribution. You've touched on the fact that you chased a woman up to Brisbane at a conference. Yeah. I love that story. It's fantastic. How, it was, was she your first distributor or did you have- She was um, a customer, like a retailer. A retailer. Yeah, that's what I mean. Yeah, okay. Yes, that's what I mean. How did you get distribution in the first place? Because you've got this beautiful brand, you've got the name, you've got the recipes, you've got the, the SKUs, everything's going beautifully. Then how do you, how do you sell it in? You don't take no for an answer (laughs) would be my first piece of advice. Um, It is a lot of hard work, to be honest. Um, The smaller you are, the harder you are. The less people know about you, the more obstacles. You've got no track record. You've got no experience. You've got a dog. That's That's your experience. So it's really about understanding the human that you're talking to and what they are looking for. So are they looking for a better price? Are they looking for a better product? Are they looking for something to brighten up their shelves? Are they looking for marketing support? Are they looking for samples? Whatever it might be, understand the person you're talking to and find a way to fit in with their agenda through the product or service you're offering. It is a lot of door knocking and it is a lot of rejection and it is a lot of resilience and get up and do it again. But that's small business for you. I mean, there's no open doors. You have to open them for yourself. So it started small, but I guess the great thing is that once you get the runs on the board, A, it becomes easier because you know what you're talking about and you've had every question thrown at you. So you've got your answers ready. But also, you know, I've got a list of customer reviews that are real on my website, on my socials, on everything, people posting on Instagram because they believe in the values of the brand and you can't ignore that as a buyer or as a retailer. And if you are providing a product that is going to make a difference to their store and, you know, they've got a gap in their shelf, well, it's a no-brainer, but getting the first few runs on the board is definitely hard. I had Michael Klim, Olympic swimmer Michael Klim, on this show years ago when he launched Milk, uh, which is his skincare brand. And, you know, he was the guy delivering the boxes of milk to the local chemist. You know, the chemist would be like, thanks thanks for the box, mate. And it's like, aren't you Michael Klim, gold medalist? <laughs> it was like, yeah. Can I tell you what? I highly recommend that strategy because I do, especially in the beginning, I was doing a lot of deliveries myself, but I would take that opportunity as a way to introduce myself, to talk about the brand, to educate the people who work in the stores so that when someone comes in looking for a particular product with, you know, their dog's got a particular issue, I'm top of mind. Bell and Bone is top of mind for the people in the store. They remember seeing me. They remember how many samples I gave them or marketing material I had on hand, whatever it was that has resonated with them, being the face of what you're doing, being there doing the hard work, people appreciate that and will support you for it. 
Well, and the other part of that too is that they go from seeing Bell and Bone as a brand and a business and a pack on their shelf to a person. That's like, it. And personal connections, I I mean, I travel around the country normally um, and see see the stores in Brisbane and Sydney and Adelaide, whatever it might be. I actually go to them and introduce myself and spend days on the road you know, every couple of months, whatever it might be, to make sure that I maintain relationships, personal relationships with stores, with customers, with shoppers, attend their events, be at the conferences. It's um, it's an important part of my business for sure. You, you know in our post-COVID world, whenever that may be, Ariane, that you're not going to be able to do this with your with the growth that you're going through. There's going to be, you know, this is going to be a big business, right? This is going to be a big FMCG company, hopefully a fantastic case study in the, you know, the archives of Australian marketing history. And you're just going to be in your <laughs> big mahogany corner office going, you do this, you do that. Oh, well. <laughs> yeah, good problem to have. Yeah. Tell me, to that point though, You've got 250-plus distributors, Pet Stock, I imagine, being one of the biggest. It's a national franchise yeah. group of pet stores. Then you've got, uh, with all respect, rats and mice uh, distributors. I'd ne- you'd never call the, oh, that face-to-face. Yes. It, the I'm, audience I'm can't to... see my face. My mouth dropped. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just pulling animal analogies. That's all I'm doing. Right. <laughs> but my point is Coles and Woolworths uh, are the big fish. Uh, it's a big pond to play in. Um, I've had Daniel Flynn from Thank You on yeah. this show. He he had to fly helicopters out the front of their buyer's boardroom as Daniel's presenting with flags saying, buy Thank You Water. You know, he went to some fairly extreme lengths. Do you hope to get into those big chains? And if so, how? To be honest, I actually don't hope. I think that the pet specialty stores have evolved because shoppers, dog owners could not find the help and advice that they needed from staff in a supermarket, which is totally fair enough. The supermarket staff, the Coles and Woolworths staff, are not there to know everything about your dog's needs or your cat's needs, whatever it might be. But these pet specialty stores are incredible because they actually do know so much about all the products that they're selling about all the different health issues that your dog might have and what they might be able to recommend to help. They have so much knowledge and Bell and & Bone is a brand that requires education, that requires attention and I can't possibly demand something like that from a Coles and & Woolworths. And although they're the big fish... Um, I think that the strategy that I've implemented by being a premium brand that requires a lot of investment in terms of education and knowledge and training, it's actually a better long-term strategy because there's knowledge and reason behind every purchase rather than it being kangaroo flavour. It, you know, it might be all the other benefits and the superfoods and everything else that's added to the brand by the help of the stores and the staff that keeps people coming back for more. Hmm. It's a bit of a conundrum because, like, it's pretty enticing, be quite seductive to go, well, okay, I've got a national distribution in two of the biggest supermarket chains in the country, but then you could go down the path, I guess, of, like, I can't think of what the chemist brand is or that brand that only naturopaths can sell. Is it like Nutramedic? No, it's not Nutramedics. But it's like you become the brand that you can only get at 
naturopaths. But then you've got something like fever tree tonic water that's sort of a bit, sort of plays in the same space as you as a premium product in that category that used to be only available at liquor shops and now it's throughout Coles and Woolworths and it's a good problem to have. Well, that's it. Pet specialty is quite significant in this country. As I mentioned, I'm in 250 stores and if you can't get to a store, I have a really great online store that um, we deliver around the whole country. So I provide a lot of information and great customer service on my online store as well. And I find that when I have a conversation, even on the online store with somebody about what might help their dog's needs, I find that I get a much better rate of sale and rate of return as well. So that is the strategy we're implementing. And I think it's working so far. With the online store, do you have to manage that so that your pricing doesn't piss off the wholesalers and the retailers? Yeah, I've got it in line with the market. Yeah, yeah. in line or above, like it always has to be that yeah. kind of at the higher point. And you've also got, I, I like what you're doing online. You've got a couple of other things. You've got an affiliate program, which I haven't seen with a lot of product uh, marketers where you are paying a commission to those who introduce new customers? Yeah, it's um, it's quite a new program and I'm really proud of it actually. As I mentioned, a lot of my business is focused on personal interactions with people and events and um, being face-to-face. So during this pandemic, I'd, I've had to change a significant portion of my strategy moving my whole plan for outdoor marketing to online marketing and becoming very good at it very fast was sort of the only option. I had to think about what my customers wanted and how I could service them through an online platform. And dog owners love to talk about what they're giving their dogs because it makes them happy to see their dogs happy. It makes them happy to know that they're giving their dogs the best. They love to talk. So understanding that and thinking about how I could build in personal connection with the brand amongst my community, whether it be through me or through each other, this was an obvious program for me to implement. So Basically, people can elect themselves to become ambassadors where they share their codes with their friends and they get discounts and the people who buy using their code get discounts. Yeah, online. Yep. Yep. And if they refer three or more people, they get their own personalised Bell and Bone business cards, which makes them easier, it, it easier to refer friends that they meet in the dog park or whatever it is and it's got their discount code and... Yeah, it's really working. It's really spreading the word of Bell and Bone in a different way now. I think it's fantastic. In fact, it actually just sparked an idea in me, and sometimes people think this is a dirty word, but network marketing. I mean, is there a dog is there a dog food brand that does utilise the network marketing model? I don't know. <laughs> do, do, do you know what I mean by that? Like, no, you know, like um, not a hundred percent. Do you know Isogenics or a you know Avon? It's pyramid selling. I don't like using that word because it's actually. But you know where, like, you don't know what I'm talking about, do you? Kind oh. of squinting your eyes. But you know, like, for example, yeah, if, I, me bone. <laughs> if I, if I, boom, boom. Um, uh, if I became uh, a seller of Bell and Bone, I could then go and recruit 
other sellers and they would sit under me and every time they sold something, I'd clip their ticket and every time they, and it just becomes this pyramid. It is, it's exactly like that. So if you buy using my code, I get points that go towards getting discounts off the website. So if I refer enough people, I essentially get free treats and that is a really great reward for me to give to people for spreading the word of Bell and Bone. It's um, it's an absolute no-brainer for me. Totally. It, the brand's getting heard about, you know, all over the country. They People are putting our um, their referral code on their Instagram biography page and, yeah, posting stories saying, use my code and... It's a commission really? by it's a commission by Salesforce. That's it what you're is. creating. It's fantastic. You've also got a strategic partnership with the RSPCA. Yes, very very clever. Clearly a two way street. How? I mean, not easy to get. I mean, I don't know. Is that an endorsement? But not easy to partner up with an organisation that has such high integrity totally. and values. So how did you do it? And what's the kind of quid pro quo? I spent probably over a year dropping off. Um, donations to their shelter in Victoria, I would always make extra bulk stock for them in particular because I wanted to give back to our community that, as I said, I've got high values, strong values, and that was one of them to be able to give back and be a part of the community that supports me in a bigger way than just having a business. So I would often every other month or so drop off you know, kilos and kilos of bulk stock for their shelters for the dogs. And I guess after a while, those efforts were recognised and we made it official. <laughs> so <laughs> it is complete. We're going out. <laughs> I um, yeah, can officially put it on my Instagram <laughs> in a partnership. <laughs> but it is genuine and that's what they saw in me and in Bell and Bone, and that's why they were happy to support the activities that we're doing together. And we've really achieved quite a lot in a short period of time. So super proud about no that relationship. Well, and, you know, at a commercial level, uh, it doesn't hurt having a brand like that sort of attached to your brand. It definitely helps. People want to do the right thing. People want to support the community, especially now when the community has been so hard hit from so many different areas. People actually want to do as much as they can. So partnering with the RSPCA in a time like this, it definitely helps from a marketing perspective. But in saying that, I'm not taking advantage of it. What I'm doing is providing benefit to their shelter through food, through fundraising activities, through awareness in my platforms, and we both get the benefit of that. All the way through this conversation, Ariane, we've been talking about marketing in some way, shape or form, but specifically marketing communications for your for this industry. I mean, I don't know what the stat is, but I imagine there are tens of millions of dollars spent on dog food advertising above the line, on the line, below mm. the line each year. Yeah, I mean... Oh, yeah. Uh, it's it, a huge it, industry and huge. in growth and it's super saturated, so you've got to stand out. I, I'm guessing you don't do any advertising in terms of TV, radio, press, outdoor. I do a mate. little bit of advertising, but okay. I think my best efforts are not through those platforms. 
something that we do a lot is brand collaborations with other companies that have got similar values to ours. So whether it be Australian made or natural ingredients or particular ingredients that we use, such as ginger or turmeric, we collaborate with them and that has given us such a great result. So instead of me harping on about the benefits of turmeric and ginger, for example, and why we use it in our food, we have collaborated with a tea brand that creates tea blends out of turmeric and ginger. So we give them product samples to give out to their audience. They give us product samples to give out to our audience. And I get to highlight the benefits of our ingredients without actually doing the hard sell. And it's had a really great result from, I guess, highlighting what we're doing right and our values without selling it. But we get to tap into their networks too through their EDM and social media and find new customers that way as well. Let me understand that a bit more. So you identify a tea brand that espouses the virtues of turmeric. They make turmeric tea. You have turmeric in your product and so that makes sense. So then you go, hey, tea brand, can you give away some bell and bone to your people and I'll give away some tea to my people? And then let's see what happens. Well, that's it. So we tap into each other's networks. So that was just an example. I've done it with dog shampoo brands. I've done it with dog accessory brands. I've even done it with, you know, skincare brands for humans that have the same values, whether it be Melbourne made or natural, so that we can say, okay, my email list is this long. Your email list is this long. Let's share each other's networks. We don't compete with each other and help each other grow. And that has been such a successful strategy for the brand because A, it's cheap. You have to send out samples and an email and post on social media, for example, which costs virtually nothing compared to big advertising. And you get a network of people where statistically there should be, even in a human-centred brand, statistically speaking, there should be a truckload of dog owners within that mix. So you're tapping into a new community, different people, and if you do that often enough, you're tapping into a lot of different places. So we put a big emphasis on that marketing activity because A, it's affordable, B, we're building up our network and our name, but we're also highlighting our values in a subtle way, in an exciting way, because I sell my products and you get um, a little present of turmeric or a little present of dog shampoo or... So just logistically, do you do that just with your online customers? So when you're sending out the product, you get some turmeric tea bags and a bit of body lotion? Yeah, that's been an online strategy for us, given that our events have obviously been put on pause. So we've had to try new things over this period. And this has been a really successful strategy that I would definitely implement ongoing. But I have different strategies with different customers as well. So in a month or so, I've got 15,000 samples of my dental sticks going into one of my big customers' online orders for anyone who buys premium pet food. So it's relevant and it gets the brand out there. It gets people trying And it's quite 
inexpensive for the results you get because if the dog likes it and you can see that there's a benefit, you're hoping that they're coming back for more and when a dog has to eat every single day, there's quite a big chance of repeat purchase when someone likes what you're doing. So it's a good industry to be in for sampling because quite a fast rate of return. Do you have a marketing idea that scares you a little bit? Mm -hmm. You'd love to implement it, but it just makes you very nervous. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, this is putting it really out there. (laughs) I would love to be on national television, but not paid. So maybe like the project as an example, or um, one of the morning shows where I get to really showcase what I'm doing to a national audience that is, again, different to the audience that I tap into on a day-to-day basis. But that really scares me because that's scary. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Well, hopefully that's the first step. You've put it out there yeah, now. Yeah, I have and, actually. <laughs> um, it, it's interesting that you say, because I've had a, a guest a few weeks ago, Chelsea, Tom, uh, Chelsea Thomas. She had a, she was a social influencer, big Instagrammer. She had a brand called iHeart uh, Heart Bargains. Hugely successful. Poor thing ended up having a breakdown and shut the business at the height of its success, and that's what we spoke about on the on the in the in the interview. One of the things that she got to at the height of her success was a regular segment on the Today Show, uh, which she absolutely loved and took the business to another level because of the exposure she was getting. Um, she's quite a character in herself, so I think that's a great idea. You said not paid, why not? But mind you, a segment like that would build so much brand cachet and brand awareness around Bell and Bone. And create a personal brand in, in in Ariane Sackville as well. So that's kind of got to be a good thing. Well, that's it. That's my that's a big point of difference for Bell and Bone. As I said, having me to stand there and talk about it as the owner, as someone who genuinely believes in the message we're putting out there, I think that would hopefully have a good, strong impact on my community. Well, my, my view on that is a you've put it out there, and b if you were really serious about pursuing that, what I would do but I don't really know. But you've got to start... I mean, you're doing YouTube videos. You've got to start putting yourself out there, which you are more and more, you know. Do have, you know, have an amazing YouTube channel that gets picked up by a station executive or, you know, an amazing podcast or some... Well, this is an amazing podcast, so hopefully I get picked up. (laughs) Thanks, Anna. It's great. Well, we're going to wrap it up there. Um, Bell, I was going to anyway. Bellandbone.com.au is where you can find out more about Ariane's fantastic range of products uh, and all the marketing that she's talking about is all there for you to see. Beautiful branding, logo design work. It's all there. It's completely understandable why you're experiencing exponential success, Ariane, and I hope it continues well into the future and we get you back on in five years' time and you do have an evaluation in your billions. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me. What a great story of building a premium brand from scratch and well told, I must say. Now, as often happens, once the microphone is turned off, guess what? My guests share other great insights and stories, and Ariane was no different. She told me she'd recently called into a popular talkback radio station in Melbourne to contribute to a discussion about pets. This immediately resulted in a surge of buyers on her website. Her online sales spiked, and she received many calls and emails from shoppers. 
along with wholesale inquiries. Now, on top of that idea, here's my top three attention grabbers from that chat with Bell and Bones, Ariane Sackville. Attention grabber number one. I love the way she interviewed 10 graphic designers before choosing the one she went with. Plus, she looked beyond their work and got a sense as to whether they'd be great to work with for an extended period of time. Tick. Attention grabber number two. I love her parties in the park idea. Not very COVID-19 friendly. However, it does beg the question, what can you do to bring your community together and give them a sense of belonging? If you crack that nut, let me know. I'd love to share it on this show. And attention grabber number three, I love Ariane's view around face-to-face connection. Flying up to Brisbane to meet that prospect, it's an absolute genius move and paid off big time. That's what grabbed my attention. Whatever grabbed yours, please head over to smallbusinessbigmarketing.com forward slash 519 and leave me a comment. Come on down. It's Tim. Yes, indeedly, doodly, it is time to reward another motivated listener, could be you, for listening to this podcast, still could be you, and taking some serious marketing action. And today's winner is forensic police officer turned fashion designer, Louisa Logue of Owlet Active. And here's what Louisa has to say. It's quite a long email, so I'm just taking the important parts of the idea she's implemented. She says, hello, Tim. I'm a full-time, shift-working, forensic police officer by day and a kids' active wear creator by night. I created Owlet Active when my daughters started doing gymnastics and the gear that was available was not providing enough coverage for my liking. I hit the shops and couldn't find anything suitable that was also fun, bright, colourful and long-lasting. So I decided to create a range of activewear just for young girls that's appropriate, of a decent length, and still allows them to wear all the patterns and colours. How have you helped my business? Louisa poses the question. Well, here she goes. Episode 437 with the Billy Goat Soap Lady. I need to be hyper aware of my mental health and knowing the signs of overwhelm. This episode really got me thinking and gave me permission to take time off and not spend every spare second working. That's a great, great learning, uh, Louisa. In fact, have a listen to more, my more recent episode with Chelsea Thomas of I Heart Bargains, and she went over the edge and in the end had to close a very successful business because she didn't apply that learning. Uh, Louisa goes on to say, episode 450, Stuart Stanley's Jewelry Store, Embracing Competition. There is a lot of competition in the activewear game and competition can be intimidating. Stuart Stanley was a really interesting cat. He owned a jewelry store in a high street in Brighton, England, uh, where there were 30 other jewelry stores, but he didn't worry about them. He just got on with telling his story and selling his product. It was great learning. Uh, Louisa says, episode 453, Santa Abel, uh, Sophie Lovejoy. She was the pyjama maker, explaining how she got the Kardashians on board. Stepping outside of my comfort zone and having the courage to ask influencers for endorsement is what I learned there. Louisa goes on to say she's using Sendal for couriers. She's using Canva for design. So many great tips. I could list many more. She says, thank you, Timbo, for the wonderful gold. Please bring back the jingle segment. Yeah, we'll see. I used to play jingles from the 70s and 80s, you know, from TV ads, but gosh, I played so many. I was sort of running out. 
thanks, Timbo. Louisa, owner of Owlet Active. You'll find her at owlet.com.au. Louisa, for taking action, you have won. A full range of Lyres non-alcoholic spirits valued at 500 bucks. You get a torsion bar voucher, a Bonjoro license, vouchers for Sendal and Tradies, some Mr. Lee's noodles, promotion on this show, backlink in the show notes. Everyone else, send me an email, tim at timreed.com.au. Tell me one idea you've implemented from this show. If I read it out on air, you win! Whew. Well, that's nearly it. Not quite. Nearly the end of episode 519. Next time around, we have our annual search engine optimization episode, SEO for those in the know. Basically, I've gone out and asked you precious listeners, what's your most pressing question about getting onto page one of Google? And then I ask one of the world's leading SEO experts to join me on the podcast and answer each question. As long as it takes, that's my view. We've got to crack this SEO nut. Hey, what did you learn from this episode? Let me know by leaving a comment over at smallbusinessbigmarketing.com forward slash 519, where you can also grab a copy of my very popular marketing book, The Boomerang Effect. And if you're picking up what I'm putting down over here at Small Business Big Marketing's HQ, then you're going to find 518 more episodes on the Podcast One Australia app. Download it now and then hit the big heart on my podcast. I'd love you to do that. If you're getting value from listening, then please let other business owners know about the podcast, which was presented by me, Timbo Reed, and diligently put together by a seasoned team of audio veterans over at Podcast One Australia. Until next time, thank you so much for tuning in. May your marketing be the best marketing. Bye for now.